morning. Right, so uh, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to, to turn to the passage I'm going to start with uh, today, and then I'll um, just give a, a quick uh, recap on what we've uh, covered so far. So uh, I'm going to start off in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You want to turn there with me? <clears throat> And I'm hoping, um, and so far I am actually on schedule, uh, thankfully, uh, I'm hoping to uh, be able to wrap up uh, this introduction uh, next week. Uh, and I've intentionally been kind of taking the long way around uh, before we hit the doctrines because I really want to establish a foundation uh, of how we approach the Bible and uh, the key components of the Bible so that when I get to these doctrines that we're going to be learning, uh, such as revelation, inspiration, etc., uh, we're going to have a foundation that we can refer back to. Uh, so you'll see me typically actually going back to probably a lot of the passages that I've been covering these past few weeks, um, and now you'll be able to go there with me and have a better understanding. <clears throat> um, all right, so Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12 is where we'll, we'll start today. And uh, in terms of what we've covered so far, so uh, we've covered... Um, you know, receiving God's word, God's revelation of Himself through His word. Um, we've covered, um, you know, Jesus's uh, you know teaching of God's word uh, in order to glorify the Father. We've seen some examples of those inspired to write God's word, what they wrote of it. Um, and then we talked about uh, last week the central theme of uh, the Bible itself, which is ultimately the theme of redemption, God's work of redemption. Uh, through the sacrifice of his son in order to redeem mankind. <clears throat> so today, um, today and tomorrow, or yeah, today and tomorrow, uh, today and next week, next Sunday, uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, application of God's word. We learned how to receive it. We learned what it's all about. Now, how do we apply it? How do we apply what we've uh, learned? So uh, starting in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, um, we'll start in verse 8. Uh, and actually, uh, for this portion, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, um, just because I, I think it's uh, a little easier to, uh, to get what Solomon's saying in this. Uh, don't get too used to that, though. I'll get back to the King James soon. Uh, so, uh, verse 8, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be, uh, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So we see Solomon has been examining throughout the book of Ecclesiastes uh, the, the vanity of, of life uh, under the sun, as he puts it. And he's been talking about how you know, the, the wealth we amass, the accomplishments um, that uh, we take credit for, everything that we do is vanity under the sun. 
But then he gets to his thesis in this final chapter, and uh, right before he gets to that thesis, he's talking about the um, amassing of knowledge and uh, you know the the wisdom of man. Um, so uh, we see that he's um, saying in verse eleven. Uh, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. Uh, ultimately, we have a lot of different wise men um, that have been elected to, to preach the word, to teach the word, and there are some people who are wise uh, independently of uh, that vocation of preaching and teaching. But what he's communicating is that all of that wisdom, whether people realize it or not, and whether they give credit or not, is coming from one shepherd, and we can all assume that the shepherd that he's talking about is uh, the spirit. Um, we saw the, the shepherd take on human form uh, in, in the New Testament, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, the spirit inspired all of the written word, and so it's all coming from the same source. It's all coming from God. Uh, God is where we get our wisdom, he's where we get our knowledge, and uh, those who claim to be wise are drawing entirely on that gift of wisdom and knowledge from God, whether they choose to accept that or not. Um, and then he goes on to say, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of flesh. So one of the things that uh, we know about Solomon is that uh, he prayed for wisdom, uh, and he experienced uh, more than what most of us in this room will ever experience in an entire lifetime. Um, his entire life was uh, a desire to accumulate knowledge and to experience new things. Um, but as we see all the way through Ecclesiastes, none of that was enough. Um, and here he's even communicating that, uh, you know, uh, beware of anything beyond these and making many books, there is no end. So anything beyond what is given by God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, anything beyond what is given to us in this word or in the incarnation of Jesus Christ when he uh, was on earth in his earthly ministry, anything beyond the word of God, um, we should be wary of. That's not to say that it's not valuable, but it is to say that the only thing that we can trust to be objectively true is what God himself has inspired and has given his authority to. Uh, so if you read a good commentary and it agrees with the Bible, great. But if you read a good commentary, or at least one that you think is good, and it disagrees with the Bible, which one are you going to choose? Ultimately, you're always going to go with the Bible. Um, and there are ways that we can arrive at that biblical truth to make sure that we're um, not just misinterpreting it ourselves. But this is the truth that we always want to um, compare anything else to. Uh, so if we're bringing an extra-biblical source into our studies. We want to make sure that it is always in alignment with the truth found in God's Word. <clears throat> and then uh, in the concluding verses, he says, The end of the matter, all has uh, been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, I, I think that that's uh, a verse that's very important for us to remember um, because he's saying, Fear God and keep his commandments, and then he's following that up by saying, This is the whole duty of man. You will find preachers uh, everywhere these days giving sermons about finding your calling, finding your special purpose, identifying, you know, this, that, and everything else uh, in terms of where you should take your life, how you should pray. Be wary of anyone who tries to 
identify a calling outside of the, the simple truth of the Bible. Because as Solomon is pointing out here through the inspiration of the wisdom, he's saying that this is the whole duty of man. And it's one sentence. It's fear God and keep his commandments. We see this reflected in the teachings of Jesus, because Jesus himself reduces all of the commandments down to love the Lord thy God with all your uh, heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength, and love your uh, neighbor as you do yourself. Uh, But then he also reiterates throughout his word, keep the commandments of God. So what are we to do? We're supposed to fear God, and fear in this sense doesn't mean live in trembling fear, but rather recognize his holiness and his authority and recognize him as being our master and our creator. But then that also leads us to love him. And then his commandments are put into place in order for us to actually love him and love each other the way that we're supposed to and live healthy, productive lives. So in one sentence, Solomon is giving us the whole purpose of life. And this is reiterated again and again throughout the Bible by no less than Jesus Christ himself in his earthly incarnation in God's word inspired by human authors. Again, we're getting back to the consistency that we see throughout the word. Last week we talked about the central theme of it, and this week we're examining the same consistency we see throughout. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is our purpose in life. Now, what can we do with those? We can apply those in certain ways, certainly. And there are many different applications uh, of God's commandments in our life. Um, But we always want to make sure that we're not applying anything outside of this book. So again, it goes back to you know, bringing in teachings outside of this book. Are they contradicting this book? We need to be careful about those, reject anything that's not objectively true from the Word, and take the Word and apply it. And then uh, finally, uh, in verse 14, we see, uh, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And again, we see this consistently throughout the Bible, all the way up through the book of Revelation. We know that what God is really judging, using to judge, uh, ultimately, is his word, his law. Um, And we know that none of us can keep that on our own, which is why we have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's imputed that righteousness onto us because we're incapable of following this law perfectly. But if we're looking at what we're being judged against, it's always going to be this law. And so we know what to do, we know what not to do, But we have that confidence knowing that even when we can't keep this perfectly, we also have Jesus. And that's also communicated in the biblical text, too. Um, So, again, all of those components come together, and they identify our calling, but they also identify the security and the the confidence that we can have, uh, you know, when we stumble uh, trying to respond to that calling. Because, ultimately, Jesus is the one who's directing our course of action. And it's his blood through his sacrifice um, that is uh, ensuring uh, that we'll reach our final destination. Um, Are there any questions on uh, on that particular portion of scripture before we move on? I don't want to go too fast. No? Okay. All right, so um, that's just a a little nugget of wisdom from uh, Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, why don't we turn to 2 Timothy, um, and we'll be primarily looking at chapter 3.
now we're going to uh, we're going to be looking at Paul's final letter that he wrote to Timothy when he was in jail awaiting uh, execution and what I hope we can see from this is I hope we can see some of that consistency that I was just talking about because you know we, we just read through Ecclesiastes we read through uh, the wisdom of Solomon as granted to him by the Spirit and now we're going to see all these hundreds of years later um, you know Paul inspired by that same Spirit writing uh, instructions final instructions to his disciple uh, in and highlighting what is important. <clears throat> So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll just start at the, the beginning of the chapter, because um, I really want us to, to work toward the end of the chapter, um, which is so often taken out of context. Right. 2 Timothy 3, So this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient of parents, uh, unthankful, holy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So as we unpack that passage, uh, before we move on uh, through the chapter, what Paul is communicating to Timothy is he's describing the last days. And um, before we even move any further in this chapter, I just want to identify that we don't know what last days he's talking about. But pretty much every single day following the ascension of Christ until now has been a last day. Uh, and every day that we continue to live until Christ's return will be a last day. So this isn't necessarily something that he's describing as being exclusive to his time, nor is it something that we can see as prophetically applying to our time. He's just simply saying, in the last days, this is what things will be like. But what we see is a consistency of things that are in contrast to the way that godly men and women are to act. And so he's giving this whole list, uh, identifying what things will look like in those last days. <clears throat> and as we go through that list, um, we see things like uh, covetousness, uh, boast, uh, people are, are going to be boasters, proud, blasphemers. Uh, we see things like disobedient to parents, uh, false accusers. And so as we go through this list, um, sometimes our first reaction is to think to ourselves, is this really so bad? Um, because we're not seeing people are going to be murderers, people are going to be rapists, people are going to you know like suffer from all sorts of mental diseases. We're seeing things like disobedient parents, uh, you know, uh, promise breakers, uh, things like that. Things that we don't typically identify as being the worst sin that anyone could commit. But what I, I think is important is when we go back to verse one and we read it again, we see that Paul writes this: "Know also." that in the last days perilous times shall come. So if we look at that word perilous, um, in the Greek that word is uh, kalipos. Um, translates uh, here in the King James as perilous. Some other translations uh, translate it as being fierce. Um, that's a word that Paul uh, uses here that's only found one other time in the Greek New Testament. 
Uh, and that time that that word is uh, used is Matthew 28, or excuse me, Matthew 8, 28. So if we go to Matthew 8, 28, And when he was come to the other side, he being in this case uh, Jesus, and when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. Exceeding fierce, that's the same word, uh, kalepos. So we see that Paul starts off this list of things that are describing what it's going to be like in the last days. And again, we're seeing people being covetous. They want what other people have. People are being disobedient to parents. People are gossiping about each other, things like that, breaking promises. But God, through the Spirit, writing in Paul, is identifying all of those things as being the equivalent of someone who's possessed by a demon. So again, we can't differentiate between sins. Sin is sin, and God is holy. That's our differentiation. We differentiate between the holy God and sin. We don't differentiate between sin and sin and see which one is worse. And so what Paul is doing is he's giving a list of things that are going to uh, describe the last days, but these are things that come naturally to every single human being. And so what we need to do to counteract that is we need the Spirit's intervention on our behalf. We need Jesus' influence in our life so that we can overcome that natural uh, tendency that we have to give in to these qualities. Um, and as we progress down through the, uh, the passage, we get through that list, and then we go back to... We'll go to verse 5, and we see that uh, he writes, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So, these lists of qualities are not just isolated to the unbelieving world. And that's a, a key point that I think that we need to, to really meditate on as well. He's saying that they have a form of godliness, uh, but they're denying the power thereof. So, what this could potentially be referring to then is not just unbelievers, but we could also see professing Christians exhibiting these same qualities, displaying these same qualities in their lives, having a form of godliness, but they're denying the power of God. So we need to be careful when we profess to be a Christian. We are taking on uh, a title that immediately connects us to Christ and we become a representative of Christ. So are we actually representing Christ for who he is? And representing Christ uh, indirectly then representing the Father because Jesus came to glorify the Father. So as representatives of who God made us to be and who Christ was uh, when he uh, came to uh, be with us in the incarnation, are, are we professing uh, to be that way, but still exhibiting all of the, the things that Paul listed. <clears throat> we see, uh, he continues on in verse 6, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, uh, led away with diverse lusts. Um, so, 
Some people might uh, concentrate on the, the silly women line. Um, I don't really feel like that's something that Paul is using to directly um, condemn or uh, speak down to women, but rather, if we look at it in the context of the culture, especially the time period, who would be more likely to be in the home? The man or the woman? The woman more, would be more likely to be in the home, and therefore she would be taking care of the duties in the home as opposed to the man who's out and taking care of the work outside of the home or potentially working in uh, the different uh, ministerial roles. So we're seeing that the... Um, we're seeing that these things are creeping into the houses and they're starting in the home with those who are in the home and then they're working their way out of the home and impacting the entire community. So again, this is giving us a, a caution. What are we taking into our home? And, and I think that when we examine current statistics and when we think about how many Bibles uh, occupy shelves in every single Christian's home, statistically, we have to ask ourselves, is the Bible collecting dust while something worse is creeping into our home? Are we using the Bible to actually keep the things that threaten to creep into the home that Paul just listed out of the home? Or are we just allowing those things in and not using the objective truth that we have in the scriptures given by God to protect ourselves from that? And then in verse 7, he says, uh, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, which now going back to Ecclesiastes 12, uh, what we had just covered, um, Solomon had been writing about, uh, you know, books uh, written by other wise men. Um, and we get the impression that he's saying that that's not sufficient um, because all of that uh, book learning is exhausting uh, to him, as he states in Ecclesiastes 12. Um, here Paul is essentially saying the same thing, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we want to make sure that when we're learning, when we're approaching the scriptures, we're actually getting to the truth. And if we're still confused about the truth, then there's something wrong with the learning process that we need to identify and correct. Um, because God, not being the author of confusion, has no desire to see us confused. Uh, he has no desire for there to be ten different interpretations of a biblical passage that uh, lead to wildly different doctrine uh, and lead us to potentially uh, go down the path of error. Um, he wants us to come to the truth. And we have the truth uh, in the Bible. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had shared a, a passage out of Proverbs, and I think it's worth returning to Proverbs chapter 30. A, a proverb written by Agur. Uh, we see in verse 4 in Proverbs 30, he had written, uh, Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended, who hath gathered the wind in his fists, who hath bound the waters in a garment, who hath established all the ends of the earth, what is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell, 
And then in verse 5, he says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So going back to what Paul wrote in, in uh, 2 Timothy, you know, when he's talking about things creeping into the houses and uh, leading captive uh, silly women laden with sins, uh, leading them away into diverse lusts, um, you know, that process starts by things creeping into our houses that we allow to creep into our houses. Here in Proverbs, we see that Agur is writing, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. God's word is a shield. God, God's word is what protects us from those very things that are trying to creep in. Again, that's something that we see all the way back in Genesis. Uh, we see that uh, uh, communicated by God to Cain. Uh, you know, uh, when uh, he's telling him that, um, well, let's actually turn to, to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, uh, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Um, so God is issuing a warning to Cain in that very passage that sin is waiting at the door uh, to creep in, as Paul communicates in Second Timothy. <clears throat> Again, we see the consistency. We see the consistency of God's word uh, from Genesis all the way through to almost the end of the Bible here in 2 Timothy. Um, it never changes. We're always being given the same message. Sometimes it's being expanded on. Sometimes it's being uh, told in a different way uh, or uh, you know, given to us in, in different levels of repetition. But it's never a different message. We never see the, the Bible contradicting itself. It's always driving that message home, helping us to understand so as we uh, move through uh, 2 Timothy 3, um, Jason, may I share something? Sure. So I can't take credit for this picture, but I don't think it's ever going to leave my head. Um, I was listening to someone and she was talking about the, you know, life and culture and how, you know, as women especially, there's so much stress and worry and anxiety that goes into because of how many hats we wear and different things that we do. But <laughs> she's just like, you know, most of you, you can't, you can't wear worry and righteousness at the same time. So if you're worrying about something, you know, you don't have your breastplate of righteousness on. And she just called out to the group and she's like, most of you are walking around butt naked wearing your helmet of salvation and that's it. Mm-hmm. And the shield of faith, the shield for refuge, that we find that refuge in, we can't be holding our shield if we're not holding our Bibles. Um, so it's, it's a visual picture that was just really, is convicting, because I've heard that passage a thousand times, but I'm, I'm very walking around naked with a helmet on, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm not properly dressed. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up, actually, um, okay. because... Uh, <laughs> So uh, the armor of God in, in Ephesians, um, that, that's a passage that um, I was reading through when I was preparing my notes for this. And I didn't include it just because uh, for time's sake, um, but I'm still glad that you brought it up because that, that's a very good point, is that when we put on the armor of God, um, one of the things that we notice, uh, and I, I think this uh, really goes along with what Ashley is saying, is that we never see God saying, just do it partially. 
We never see him say, just read some of the word, obey some of the word, obey some of the commandments, you know, uh, give, you know, half of, of your devotion or energy to any uh, thing that he commands us. But he always tells us to do it fully, to do it wholly, to do it, you know, to take in all of the word. Uh, and that's actually a great point that Ashley brought up is that when we put on the armor of God, we need to put on all of the armor of God. No soldier would ever go into battle without all of their armor. And so if we're only wearing one component of the armor, you know, I mean, she used the illustration of being naked, but, and that's a funny illustration to have, but even so, you know, we're going into battle unequipped to actually be victorious in battle. So we have no hope of winning in battle if we're going in without any of the equipment that we've been given that ensures our victory. And then we remind ourselves, where does that equipment come from? And ultimately we go come back to the same answer, which is God. God gave us the armor to wear. He gave us the scriptures uh, to read uh, and to apply. And so, yeah, that's a great illustration. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So as we uh, continue through uh, 2 Timothy, I'm going to try to get through the end of the chapter before we we hit time here. so, picking back up in uh, verse 8, Now, as Janus and Jambres uh, withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. <clears throat> Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Again, fully known my doctrine. And Paul is not just saying my doctrine personally that I came up with, but his doctrine comes directly from Jesus, as he's established in other letters. So, he's saying... But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, uh, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Lots to unpack there, um, but uh, we can kind of skip down to, we can skip down to verse 13. Uh, we see, he says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's a caution in that. Once you start being deceived, are you going to potentially deceive someone else? Is anyone who is deceived trustworthy enough to teach somebody else correct doctrine? I would say no. Uh, And so you have to be careful because your deception doesn't just impact you. Your deception impacts your family, impacts your church community, impacts the community at large, right down to the person that you witness to at the gas station when you're getting gas or when you're buying lunch, uh, you know, at the whatever restaurant you go to it always is going to impact everybody else in your life. And so you always want to make sure you're not being deceived because through you, through you being deceived, you're deceiving others uh, indirectly, sometimes unintentionally. Um, 
Furthermore, we continue to verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, uh, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So he's saying continue in those things. Um, going back to Ashley's analogy, which I'm actually really glad that she brought that up. So she used the uh, example of if you're just wearing the helmet of salvation, you know, then the rest of you is exposed. And he's saying continue in these things. So salvation is not enough. The helmet of salvation is not enough for us to continue in godliness. The helmet of salvation is something we can have confidence in. We can hold on to that and be assured that, yes, Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins and we're going to heaven. But we still have a whole life to live here. We aren't just zapped up to heaven immediately. And so if we're only wearing that helmet of salvation... We might be sure and confident of our salvation, but are we able to then teach others and be an example to others? Um, so he's saying continue in these things. Um, verse 15, uh, he goes on to say, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Um, so Timothy knew these holy scriptures, and most likely the scriptures that he was referring to, um, because the New Testament was currently still in the process of being written, was the Old Testament. Um, from a child, Timothy would have learned the Old Testament scriptures, uh, what um, is referred to as the Hebrew Tanakh. Um, and when we see the ministry of Jesus, we see him constantly referring back to the Law, the Prophets, um, the, the poet, uh, poetical writings. He's always referring back to those um, to identify how they speak and testify of him. Timothy here has known about or uh, been taught in the Holy Scriptures from the time that he was a child. So these people during this time uh, that Paul and others were writing these letters uh, in the New Testament, they're going back to the Holy Scriptures, uh, the Old Testament, and they're pulling these truths out of the Old Testament and applying them. But then he goes on to say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So now he's not just talking about the holy scriptures that they used to have when they were younger, or they used to have before Christ came in the incarnation, but he's making a statement that all scripture, all scripture from before, and he's identifying that all scripture, which is still currently being written, so he's identifying the, what we're now reading in the New Testament, all scripture is uh, given by inspiration of God, and then he's going on to say it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And then he once again uh, goes on to say that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now again, we see that absolute statement of all good works. The word of God is not just only applicable in certain situations. The word of God is applicable in all situations. So any good work that we do, that we devote ourselves to, best practice is going to be found in this book. We might be able to do it okay or passable on our own, but if we want to do it perfectly as is prescribed by God himself, we go to the Bible and we pull that doctrine out of the Bible and we apply it. And anything that we do that could be considered good or a good work, we're going to have the instruction to be able to perform that from God's word. He's given it to us for that very reason, because he wants us to succeed and to glorify him through that process. <clears throat> All right, I got about uh, 10 minutes, and I think I can wrap this up in 10 minutes. I'm going to try anyway. Uh, 
But uh, are there any questions or comments on that uh, last section we just covered before I, I move on? I got one more passage to cover. <clears throat> no? Okay. Quiet group today. Thank you for your contribution earlier, Ashley. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, so um, the last thing I'm going to touch on today um, now that we've gone through and, and we've seen uh, both Solomon and uh, Paul uh, talk about the inspiration and application of God's Word. Um, I want to go to... Let's go, uh, let's go to John 6. As you guys are turning to John 6, too, um, one, one thing, uh, I don't know uh, what other Bible teachers uh, you've experienced uh, have been like in the past, because uh, I've only been doing this for a few months, but um, I know I make you turn to a lot of different places, and I also know that I read a lot uh, of Scripture to you guys. I don't know if you're used to that or not, but my primary purpose for doing that is because I want to make sure that we're seeing that all of the things that I'm teaching you are scriptural. Um, so I want this to be my primary authority. I don't want this or this to be my primary authority. I don't want myself to be that authority. Um, so I apologize for making you flip all over the Bible, and I'm sorry that I read long chunks of scripture, but I want to make sure that you're getting God's word, not Jason's word. So um, we're in John 6, and we're going to look at uh, verses 45 through 51. <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking. He's saying, It is written in the prophets, and they shall, all be, uh, they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So, Jesus is referring back to the manna uh, that was given to uh, the Israelites in the wilderness, um, the bread of life. It was the bread that they received every single day to sustain them through their journeys. Um, and he's saying that he is that bread. He's the bread of life. In other scriptures, we see Jesus identify himself as being the truth, the way, and the life. Uh, he's identified as the living water. But a consistent theme that we see in all of those verses is that he is life. And the things he's associating himself with as previous examples in the Old Testament are life-giving. So here he's uh, saying that he's the, uh, the bread of life. He's referring back to the manna. And in previous lessons, the last couple of weeks, I've referred back to this uh, same passage because um, Jesus himself actually refers back to it um, in various teachings um, that we've gone over also in the book of John. Um, in fact, uh, last week we uh, went through John 3, and there was a reference to this passage. So if we go back to Numbers 21, and um, 
we look at uh, the passage that Jesus was referring to in John 3 when he was uh, talking about the born-again process. He was explaining that to Nicodemus. In Numbers 21, verse 5, we see, And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And then throughout the rest of the passage, we see that uh, God was wroth with them. He sent uh, fiery serpents. Um, They were bitten. They became sick. And then uh, there was an instruction given to Moses uh, to make a serpent of brass. Uh, We see in verse 9, And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he uh, beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So they look on that serpent, believe, and they survive. And that's supposed to be a representation of uh, having faith in Jesus, who was put up on the cross. We believe in him. We're uh, eternally uh, saved. But we go back to verse 5 that I just read. And we see that when they're complaining, we see that last phrase, and our soul loatheth this light bread. They're talking about the manna. They're sick and tired of eating the manna. They've been consistently complaining about the manna ever since Exodus. And here they're saying that their soul loatheth this light bread. So they're not just sick and tired of it, they hate it. So we go to, um, once again, um, we're going to go to the, the words of Jesus here. We're going to go to uh, another passage that we've already covered, Matthew 4.4. 4. And we're going to start to make some connections, because in, in John, Jesus said that he is the bread of life. He's referring back to the manna. In Matthew 4.4, 4, we see his response to being tempted in the wilderness, but he answered and said, uh, when... Uh, Satan comes before him uh, in verse 3, and he says, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He responds in verse 4, and he says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So, we're making connections here. We're seeing Jesus identifies himself as the bread of life. He's referring back to the manna in John 6. We see that uh, in John 1, Uh, we see him identified as being the Word of God. He's the Word of God who is with God. Um, Here in Matthew 4, he's saying that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he's referring back to Deuteronomy. So now Jesus is not only saying he's the bread of life, but he's also saying that the Word of God uh, is what sustains man. And Jesus himself in John, is identified as being the Word of God. So, what are we starting to draw from all of this? Is that the Word of God sustains us. The Word of God is Jesus himself incarnate, but also is collected in this text that we hopefully read every single day, that was inspired by God through human authors, and this is what sustains us. The, uh, the reference to Deuteronomy, by the way, for those of you who want to look it up later, because I know I'm uh, getting really limited on time, here is uh, Deuteronomy 8.3. Uh, that's what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 4.4. 4. Uh, you guys are free to look that up. Um, so then we go to... 
Let's go to John 14 very quickly. And in John 14 and 15, I'm just going to read a few verses here for time's sake. Um, We see some references uh, that Jesus is going to make to the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, uh, 15 through 17, we see that he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Once again, Jesus is reiterating the importance of keeping the commandments. Um, And I will pray the Father, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with with you, and shall be in you. We see then in verse 26 of uh, John 14, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And then in uh, chapter 15, in verses 25 and 26, But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that it is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. This is referencing back to uh, Psalm 35, 19 and Psalm 69, 4. Uh, Those are uh, the two Old Testament passages that he's referring to when he says, uh, they hated me without a cause. And in verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth, from the Father, he shall testify of me. So now we're seeing the Holy Spirit as being identified as the Spirit of Truth. He's being sent as a helper, as a comforter, as a teacher. And he's being sent from Jesus, who's already been identified as being the Truth, the Word. And so again, we're drawing these connections. We're seeing that all of it is working together here. We're seeing that everything that is contained in this book is not only given to us by God, but it's illuminated by God through His Spirit. And it was taught by God through his son. And lived by God ultimately through his son and fulfilled. There's an amazing consistency that we're, we're seeing as we examine all of these scriptures from all of these different sections of the Bible and we're putting all these pieces together. Um, the, this consistency is one of the most beautiful evidences uh, for the truth of the word. Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into other evidences, such as uh, archaeological evidence and uh, you know, examining the canon of Scripture in, in the weeks to come. But just this consistency alone, because we have to keep in mind that this book was written by multiple different authors over thousands of years. And yet they're all telling us the same message, all building off of one another's work through the inspiration of, of God. And so I'm going to close with this. Um, I don't want Brad to kill me for uh, running too late. So um, we're going to go to uh, Nehemiah 9.20 really quickly. I know Nehemiah is not a book we often go to, so uh, it's right after Ezra, right before uh, right before Job. Or excuse me, right before Esther. <clears throat> We see uh, in Nehemiah 9, through the entire chapter, he's uh, talking about all of the ways that God has uh, you know, um, led the Israelites uh, through the wilderness, uh, provided for them, etc. 
And uh, in verse 20, we see that uh, Nehemiah writes, Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheldest not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. Long before the book of John was ever written, uh, long before Jesus spoke those words, we see Nehemiah himself is saying that you, God, gave them, the people, your spirit to instruct them and did not withhold the manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. So, all the way back in the Old Testament, Nehemiah is saying the exact same thing that we'll see Jesus uh, reiterating in John, is that God gave you the Spirit, and He gave you the Spirit for instruction, just like He gave the Word that we see uh, Paul write in 2 Timothy, for instruction. It all connects. <clears throat> this is how we apply. This is how we apply God's Word. We, we look to the Spirit for instruction. We recognize the fact that God gave us the Spirit. God gave <clears throat> us the Word. Um, and we just we pray into that. We always look at this text through those eyes. Um, <clears throat> so uh, there's one last thing I, I want to share really quickly, and I think that this is something that we can take with us uh, through the remainder of the day and hopefully uh, the rest of the week and hopefully the rest of our lives. Um, let's go to um, Matthew 28 really quickly. And... Uh, Matthew 28, and then I'm going to wrap up in Joshua 5. Um, so if you want to bookmark both of those places. So, of course, you've heard this, these two verses a million times. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 19, verses 20, Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So now we're given the instruction to be the teachers. We were given the teacher. We were given the Spirit. He instructs us. We instruct others. It's this endless cycle. This is our purpose in life. We are to carry out this great commandment, taking instruction, giving instruction. It's a never-ending cycle. Um, and the beautiful thing about this is that in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Going back to the, the references to manna, going back to what Jesus himself said about the manna, if we go to Joshua 5, and we keep in mind that the Israelites... We're always grumbling about the manna. We looked at that in, in Numbers 21.5. They loathed it. They hated it. They were so sick and tired of eating it. They wanted something different. And we know that that generation died before they ever reached the promised land. But when we look at Joshua 5.12, And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is when they've already reached the land of promise. All of those grumbling Israelites that died before they ever reached the promised land still had manna to eat every single day. They loathed it, they hated it, they rejected it, but he still gave it to them. We still have the word every single day. We're given the instruction to teach it. Matthew 28, 19, 20. 
but Jesus himself gives us the promise that he's with us always, even until the end of the world. So, even if we have this Bible collecting dust for a year or two years or five years in our house and we never read it, we can't say that we never got it. And he's there to teach us as soon as we pick it up. He's a God of promise and a God of patience 